Well, welcome everyone to the Triangles webinar. Over the last few webinars, we have been placing a focus on the Great Invocation, which is central to the work of Triangles. We'll be taking this a step further today by introducing a visualization based on the Great Invocation, which will become part of our work together. We also have a new meditation format, energizing the planetary network of triangles, which will be broadcast after the talk. The meditation is similar to that given in the Techniques of Triangles booklet, one of the main items of triangles literature, both for people new to the work and for more experienced meditators too. Each will bring to the meditation the power of their own understanding. So as this webinar welcomes both beginners to the Triangle service, as well as those who have many years experience in this subjective work, this seems an appropriate meditation to work with, as it focuses on the essence of the Triangle's work, while also energizing the whole worldwide network. But to return to the great invocation at the heart of the triangle's work, what can we say about its relevance to modern humanity and its message about the reappearance of a great world teacher? This world teacher is that great being whom the Christians call the Christ. He is known also in the Orient as the Bodhisattva and Lord Maitreya, and is the one looked for by the devout Mohammedan under the name of the Iman Mahdi. In the Alice Bailey writings, he's referred to as the Christ, and there it records at the end of the World War in 1945, his announcement to the assembled spiritual hierarchy that he had decided to emerge again into physical contact with humanity if they would bring about the initial stages of establishing right human relations. As we're discussing in the Arcane School this month, we would probably all agree that we have a long way to go to fulfill this stipulation. But on the other hand, how do we reconcile that statement with the following utterance by Krishna, which is quoted as the keynote in the book, The Reappearance of the Christ, Whenever there is a withering of the law and an uprising of lawlessness on all sides, then I manifest myself. For the salvation of the righteous and the destruction of such as do evil, for the firm establishing of the law, I come to birth age after age. That's from the Bhagavad Gita. Book four. So is it possible for the initial stages of establishing right human relations and a withering of the law and an uprising of lawlessness to occur simultaneously? So rather than wrestling with the seeming contradiction solely from the angle of world affairs, perhaps more insight can be gained by approaching the issue 
from the perspective of the science of invocation and evocation. Of this, the Tibetan wrote, little attention has been paid to the factor of invocation as expressed by the people of the world, yet down the ages, the invocative cry of humanity has risen to the hierarchy and brought response. Someday, a scientific study will be made of the great world prayers, spiritual statements and invocative appeals and their relation to world events. This relationship will become illuminatingly apparent and the result will be a closer, closer linking of earth and the spiritual centers of love and life. So while a scientific appraisal of the relationship between the great invocation and world events is beyond our present capacities, nevertheless adopting the spirit of this approach helps our understanding of the present global situation in connection with the possible timing of the reappearance of the world teacher. Presently, the great world prayer we associate with the Christian heritage is the Lord's Prayer, and the anticipation seems to have been that it would be steadily superseded by the great invocation, which is given out to the world for the use of the man in the street. A term we wouldn't use these days, but we understand by this that it means the typical citizen. However, since those times, there's been much change, and certainly in the West, and as far as the influence of the Christian religion on the general public is concerned, it seems unlikely that the great invocation would be interpreted in the same manner as it would have been then. In this more secular and scientific age, the typical citizen would probably have far more questions and reservations about its concepts. But what about the great awakening and consciousness that's been taking place outside of traditional religion and expressed in a wide range of spiritual, spiritual practices and beliefs? And this phenomenon, which grew rapidly in Western society during the 1970s New Age movement, has a highly eclectic and unsystematic structure. But as encouraging as this may be, the science of invocation and evocation involves the focusing of energy, which requires purposeful group intent. Also, while the growth of the interfaith movement is encouraging, its incredible potential to invoke the center of spiritual power as a united group and evoke an equally incredible response remains unrealized. So bearing this in mind, the most hopeful sign of our times, both in terms of the science of invocation, as well as in connection with the imminent reappearance of a world teacher, is undoubtedly the new group of world servers. And although this global phenomenon has no uniformity of ritual and ceremonial, being comprised of people of all faiths and those who have none, 
it nevertheless represents an intense focus of planetary invocation. And we read in Alice Bailey's book, this intermediate group between the hierarchy and humanity is a carrier of the energy which makes the plan possible. And the sheer number of those who now comprise this group resolves the paradox of how it is possible for the initial stages of establishing right human relations and a withering of the law and an uprising of lawlessness to occur simultaneously. The world may be in a critical state of decline, but equally, the 10 million or so NGOs currently operating around the world indicate that the new group of world service is effectively carrying the will of God into expression. So perhaps we can justifiably conclude that the energy of the coming one is descending and growing in power throughout the world now. And to an extent that a, a physical reappearance may be imminent. Recentering our thoughts on the relation between the great invocation and world events, while the use of the great invocation is not perhaps being used as widely as members of the public, by members of the public, as the spiritual hierarchy of our planet had hoped. The way in which it is being used by the growing number of spiritually awakening people who are learning how to use it with increased power is significant. And Ellis Bailey notes that the great ones frequently have to work with large groups before the quota of energy supplied to them for the accomplishment of their ends measures up to that needed. And so we have the best of both worlds in these webinars. For most of us have some affinity with the Alice Bailey writings, and we're learning how to meditate and use the Great Invocation ever more powerfully. We're also working as a group. So together we offer ourselves to the spiritual hierarchy and seek to invoke their aid to let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. So at this point, let's, let's go into our visualization on the great invocation. Lincoln thought as a soul, as a point of love and light with all those people throughout the world who are part of the triangle service work.
Visualize the world situation as best you can and see people everywhere glowing with a dim light and here and there points of brighter light where men and women of spiritual intention and of loving hearts are working for others. Visualize the creative imagination, the vivid light of the spiritual kingdom streaming towards humanity and slowly merging with the light which is already in humanity. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. Wonder upon the reappearance of the coming world teacher. Realize that no matter by what name he may be called in the many world religions, he is still the same great identity. Reflect and speculate upon the possible results of his appearance.
upon the point of love within the heart of God. Let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. Endeavor to concentrate your fixed intention to serve and to spread love in your surroundings and realize that insofar as we can do these things, we are attempting to blend the personal will with the divine will. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. Let sound be um, the sacred word once dedicating the threefold personality to the working out of the divine plan. Well, I have great pleasure now in introducing uh, Wendy Berg to you. She's a triangles worker, a student of the work, and a lot more, very much more. And Wendy's going to talk about the symbolism of the triangle in ancient Egypt. Wendy, over to you.
thank you very much and thank you for inviting me to speak. Uh, yes, I'd like to speak about how the ancient Egyptians used the symbol of the triangle. The triangle was a very significant symbol for them. It held special meaning for them. And I think much of that meaning is still very relevant to us today. We can see how they used it and what it meant to them by looking at their system of writing known as the hieroglyphs. Perhaps I could say a few words about the hieroglyphs in general. The Egyptians didn't call them hieroglyphs, of course. That's the Greek translation of the word. They called them the medu neta, which means the words of the gods. The hieroglyphs were not used as a means of communication between one person and another. They were reserved for special and sacred use, where they would function as a means of communication between the gods or the inner hierarchy and humanity, such as on the walls of temples and tombs and in the sacred writings. The hieroglyphs are not strange or mysterious signs or sigils. They are all realistic images of everyday things, of birds and animals, trees and plants, buildings, boats, furniture. A wonderful property of the hieroglyphs is that each sign has the potential to be used in three different ways. First, a sign can simply mean what it represents. So to take just one example, the hieroglyph of an ostrich feather can simply mean an ostrich feather. But the hieroglyphs can also be used as sounds, either to form a word on their own, or combined with other sounds to make longer words. And the hieroglyph of the ostrich feather was pronounced something like shoot. But it's the third use of the hieroglyphs, which I think is particularly interesting. They could also be used as symbols. So for example, the ostrich feather, in which each strand of the feather floats as if it's as light as air, almost weightless, symbolised for the ancient Egyptians the quality that we would now describe as light-heartedness. And for them, it, spiritualized, it represented the spiritual state of light-heartedness, the freedom and joyfulness of a heart which is not weighed down by anxiety or desire, or which is too focused on earthly things, but where a balance has been achieved between the life of the spirit and daily life on earth. So it describes the condition of the heart chakra rather than the physical organ. 
A few of the hieroglyphs use simple geometrical forms such as a circle, a square or a rectangle, but of all the hieroglyphs, and there are at least, at least 700, only three contain a triangle. And this does suggest, I think, that for the ancient Egyptians, the triangle symbolized something so significant that its use was reserved for a very few special instances. The first of these hieroglyphs that uses a triangle is the hieroglyph that means a pyramid. And that's uh, showing, I think, on your screen now, the pyramid triangle. And of course, an image of a pyramid could hardly be anything but a triangle. This pyramid hieroglyph looks just like the shape of the pyramid. And it's always depicted standing on a rectangular base that represents the solid rock foundation of the pyramids. So the pyramid triangle is standing firmly on the earth. But the second of these triangles, triangular hieroglyphs, is simply a triangle. And we can call this the Sirius Triangle because it was used as a symbol of the star Sirius. This Sirius Triangle was always depicted, as you can see it, as a tall, slender, quite elongated isosceles triangle. The angle at the top of this triangle is therefore quite sharply pointed and much smaller than the two angles at the base. You might like to visualise this triangle in your mind's eye. And it's quite appropriate, I think, to visualise it as shining white or with a silver light. This Sirius triangle, the triangle of the star Sirius, perhaps has a different feel to the equilateral triangle in which each side and each angle are equal. Perhaps this tall isosceles triangle seems more aspirational, reaching upwards towards a single point. Or perhaps it suggests a ray of light or energy emerging downwards from a single source. In fact, it could be said to symbolise both a lifting up of the lower energies into the light and a bringing down of the higher energies into bodily expression. In fact, this Sirius triangle has a number of different but related meanings. Its first meaning is that it represents a thorn. The sharp 
pointed growth on the stem of a plant. And so it could be used simply to mean a thorn. But it was more often used to represent the quality of sharpness. And for the ancient Egyptians, just as for us today, this meant both physically sharp, something that pricks your skin and makes you jump, but also mentally sharp or mentally keen and alert. It indicated a focused use of the mind. And it could also mean to be ready for something or to be mentally prepared, to be prepared for the moment or to have all your energy gathered and focused in the moment. We might perhaps also see a connection with the phrase white and one-pointed, which was used by the Tibetan to describe the state of consciousness of the initiate. And there is more symbolism because this hieroglyph of the isosceles triangle could also mean effective. This is another word that's quite difficult to define precisely. It suggests a range of different qualities, productive, fruitful, convincing. If something is effective or has an effect, this suggests that the original causative energy or idea has been carried right down through into an actual achieved result. The original idea has achieved its purpose on earth. So this hieroglyph of the triangle was used to convey many different meanings. It meant mentally sharp, focused. It meant effective. And it symbolized the star Sirius. All of these, and I think all these meanings, really are connected. The star Sirius was very significant to the ancient Egyptians, just as it is in many other spiritual beliefs. Above all, they considered it to be the celestial light or the starry manifestation of the goddess Isis. Now, over the centuries, Isis has for many people become, in effect, the goddess above all others. But originally, her role was quite specific. Originally, Isis demonstrated to humanity how to transcend mortality, how to overcome or rise above the apparent death of the physical plane through love, through wisdom, and through the right use of magic. And in fact, one of her titles was Isis, Great of Magic. Mythology tells us that 
Isis partner Osiris was killed by the god Set and his body was scattered in pieces all over the whole of Egypt. But Isis was able to discover each separated part and she remembered or brought each part back together again. And having done so, she was then able to bring into existence a new life, which was the conception of her son Horus by Osiris, even after Osiris's death. Horus became the living ideal for each new king or pharaoh, and consequently for all people. If I might quote one or two of the many statements of the Tibetan in the writings of Alice Bailey regarding the meaning and purpose of magic, we find that they describe very well the role of Isis. For example, the white magician has for motive that which will be of benefit to the group for whom he is expending his energy and time. Osiris, whose body was scattered over Egypt, represented the whole of Egypt and its people, and in a sense, the whole of manifestation upon the physical plane, which can appear to consist only of separate and perhaps even lifeless parts. But Isis, retained the vision of the whole, of the potential of the whole Osiris, and she was therefore able to bring the separated parts together, renewed and regenerated, and lifted up by her love and wisdom. Another quotation reminds us that students must remember that all dense physical forms, whether of a tree, an animal, a mineral, a drop of water, or a precious stone, are in themselves elemental lives constructed of living substance. It is the recognition of this essential livingness, which is the secret of all beneficent magic. I think this recognition of essential livingness beautifully sums up the magical role of Isis. After the birth of Horus, Isis and Osiris resumed their bodies of light and can be seen amongst the stars as Sirius, Isis, and the constellation of Orion, Osiris. It was believed by the ancient Egyptians that the stars in the night sky are in some profoundly mysterious manner the shining spirits of those who have transcended the earthly plane. I don't think this was just superstitious fancy on their part. I think they knew that we humans are literally 
made of the same stuff as the stars. So for the ancient Egyptians, the symbol of the triangle represented a lively and mentally stimulating energy which can spark you into creativity. It also represents the qualities of Isis who demonstrates to humanity the regenerative power of love and wisdom and the essential livingness of all things. And in ancient times, the rising of the star Sirius above the horizon after an absence of 70 days in which it was not visible above the skyline coincided with the yearly inundation of the Nile, which flooded the land with rich, fertile silt that created productive land from what would have been arid desert. I mentioned that there were three Egyptian hieroglyphs, just three, that featured a triangle. And the third is a development of the Sirius Triangle. Here it is on the screen now. And as you can see, it's formed of the same Sirius Triangle, but inside this first triangle, there's another smaller but identically shaped triangle resting on the base of the first, one triangle inside another. What could this mean? Well, this triangle, this hieroglyph, means to offer and to give. It's said to be an illustration of the conical loaf depicted in the many painted scenes of offerings to the gods that are still visible on the walls of temples and tombs. But there is also some significant symbolic meaning within this site. To the ancient Egyptians, the ritual offering up of bread or fruit to the gods was a symbolic representation of the real offering up, which was of one's lower self to the gods. Or in other words, a raising up of the lower self into the higher self and ultimately towards the light of the spirit. This hieroglyph that consists of two triangles, one inside the other, suggests, I think, that there is no fundamental difference between them. The smaller or lower self is, in essence, the same as the greater or higher self, just on a different level of manifestation. It suggests a way in which the relationship of the lower to the higher might be understood. One is contained within the other. This hieroglyph too had other meanings. It also means to cause and to show the way. So it describes a deliberate and positive action not a casual gesture, but an action which is purposefully intended to lead the way 
into something new. This suggests that the ancient Egyptians were also aware of how the act of bringing the lower self, the personality, into harmony and alignment with the higher self is not only a positive and beneficial action for each individual, but will also have an enabling effect for others. It is an action which will show the way forward. Thank you for that slide. I'm sure that the ancient Egyptians were aware of what we now describe as the etheric network that links all things and of which we are all a part. Their school of learning that was particularly focused on the use and meaning of the hieroglyphs was called the house of the net. I think we can usefully compare the symbolic meaning of this triangle in the Egyptian hieroglyphs with the qualities and effect of the triangles of light and goodwill that we create today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Wendy. It's absolutely beautiful talk, and I'm sure that there are going to be many people wanting to raise their hands and, and uh, make a comment or ask you a question. Um, so please go ahead and do that. We don't have a lot of time, but I think we've got about five minutes um, to, to ask Wendy a few questions. I just, it was so interesting to, to think of the school which focused on their symbolic language being called the house of the net, just as we reflect on the meaning of sound and words and qualities behind the etheric network we use today. And it was, there were so many aspects to your talk that really rang true today, you know, particularly all the information about Isis and the role of right use of magic as well as love and wisdom sort of symbolizing the second ray and the seventh ray swinging to action now. So um, let me see, is there anybody who would like to share some comments? Um, just um, you want to I... raise your hand, okay? Hey, Chris, I don't see anybody with their hands raised, but there is a, a, a one comment here in the chat from Matthew Martin. Yeah. Would you like me to read it? Yes, please. All right, so Matthew says. Uh, when the star Sirius began to appear each year around the time of August, Egyptian religion, religious leaders knew that the Nile would soon be flooding the farmlands, and they believed this was Isis nurturing the land to provide sustenance to the people. So Isis represents the divine nurturer. 
Um, yes, ab absolutely right. And, and it's so wonderful, isn't it, how so much comes together in ancient Egyptian thought. Um, as I mentioned, the hieroglyphs are all pictures of everyday things. They're not um, strange symbols. And the way that, um, yes, the Nile began to inundate uh, the land just as Sirius reappeared after 70 days absence. That is absolutely wonderful. Um, and, and yes, we mentioned the name of the school of hieroglyphs, the House of the Net. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there is some ancient Egyptian writing describing how the work of that House of the Net was to understand how everything is linked, how one thing uh, connects with another, how one thing can symbolise another. Beautiful. I just want to tell everybody as well that um, Wendy is is author, also an author. And Wendy, you, you've written a book on the House of the Net, haven't you? You, you sent the trust a copy? Uh, yes. <laughs> Yes, I have. I, I couldn't resist call. It is about the symbolism of the hieroglyphs, yes. And I yeah. couldn't resist calling it the House of the Net. It's a fascinating name. Yes. Any comments from anybody else? Anybody like to share anything? It's there's just it's such a rich talk, Wendy. It's full of obviously full of symbolism being hieroglyphs. But, you know, it's just something you'd just like to, you've got so many images in your mind now, of having listened to that talk. It was really helpful. Thank you. Thank you very much as, for inviting me. As you can see from all the, the lovely comments in the chat. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't have a lot of time. Um, there is one person who wants to make who's raised their hand. So just let's hear from John Horan um, before we move on to our meditation. John, please go ahead. Thank you. Wonderful talk, Wendy. I, my only observation, I think the talk was so rich, there's more processing necessary, but yes. the hieroglyphs are active on all levels. There's the concrete, the triangle is a pyramid. There's the abstract, the triangle is serious. Um, and there is a more developed, the triangle uh, is Osiris. So it's, it's interesting just to note how that would have been available to whatever level the observer, reader, tendant of that temple may have had at the time. And with that, I'll turn it back to you. <laughs> um, well, I, I think there was every level available, um, whether it was always evident to all people, I, I'm not sure. But um, I, I think that there was such a belief at that time in, in the power of the hieroglyphs to link between the inner and outer worlds. Um, that it was thought that simply um, inscribing them or painting them on the walls of a temple or a tomb would have an effect, whether they were fully understood by uh, those who passed by or those who were worshipping there in the temple. 
Um, I don't know, but I, I think it really was believed that they were the words of the gods. And I agree. <laughs> well, Wendy, thank you. thank you so much. And I'm I'm sorry to have to um, cut down the discussion because I can see there are more people uh, wanting to discuss things. But we are running out of time. There was um, somebody who wanted to know where to get hold of your book. I presume it's on Amazon? Uh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So let's move now after with all those very rich images in our mind to closing this webinar with the Triangles Meditation Group, energizing the planetary network of triangles. Before we start, if you have yet to form a triangle, two points of light can be visualized to represent the partners you are seeking to create for your triangle. So let's link mentally with each member of your triangle or triangles from the highest point of consciousness that you can achieve, seeing each triangle as a unit in the mind's eye. Remember that energy follows thought and links are created and kept vitally alive by this daily work. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the radiant worldwide triangles network. See that network 
linking all triangle units and relating all points of light throughout the world. See the network relating the world of spiritual realities, the spiritual kingdom, to the world of experience, humanity, acting as a channel of distribution within humanity for the energies pouring through the kingdom of souls. See the network transforming the aura of the earth to receive and circulate the energies of the soul, will, love, light. Realize that the energies of light, love, and the will to good evoked by all triangle workers and pulsating through the planetary network of triangles are having an inevitable effect within the field of human evolution, lifting human consciousness and helping to create the path of light for the approach of the coming one.
and now signed the great invocation, which you can do so out aloud or silently, but we'll sound the Om three times at the end in silence. As you repeat each stanza, visualize the triangle's network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, as a channel through which light, love, and divine purpose flow into human consciousness. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. We sound the Om silently three times. Well, thank you, everyone, for your lighted contribution to the work of the webinar today. And again, a special thanks to Wendy for her inspiring and invocative talk. So it just remains to wish you a wonderful evening, afternoon, as the case may be. And uh, we'll meet again next week on Monday the 9th. Goodbye.